Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the New Testament book of Colossians, to Colossians chapter 3, uh, for our time together this morning as we open God's Word. If you don't have uh, the Bible with you today, don't have it on your smartphone or that matter, the words will be here on the screen in just a, just a moment so you can follow along with us here today. We are so thankful that you are here. Uh, of course, many of our people were back last Sunday, but many others of you are still on the road traveling. Some of our students are already uh, coming back into town and things. And so to all of you who are now just now getting back, welcome back. We've missed you and we're thrilled that you are here today. Uh, this morning as we open God's word, there's a very simple question and yet a question that has profound implication in our life that I want to encourage you to strive to answer in our time together today. Uh, so as we're here, as we're opening God's word, as we're hearing the words, I want to encourage you uh, to really examine your life and seek to answer this question, and hopefully we can answer it well. That question is simply this. In your life today, what are you seeking? In your life today, what are you seeking? What is it that you are striving to experience? What is it that perhaps that you're trying to accomplish? Your focus is set on maybe experiencing something, uh, maybe possessing something. What is it in your life that you are seeking? Of course, there are many things in our life at times where maybe we could be selfish or sinful and we can seek things that are not pleasing to God at all. And of course, those things are pretty clear and obvious that those things are not an effective or appropriate use of our time. And yet the reality is there are also many things in our life that can be good things that if they're placed in the wrong placement in our life, they can quickly become bad things. They can be a hindrance to us as we seek to live for the Lord even today. I think about that and I've been reminded of several conversations over the Christmas break with family and friends as we talked about different things. And I've been reminded that many people in life have, have what we call today a bucket list. Anybody got a bucket list of things that you hope to experience or see in your life? There's nothing wrong with a bucket list, but someone who has a bucket list, so to speak, they have a list of experiences, places they want to see, things that they want to experience, the moments they want to enjoy. And as a result of that, many people, if the bucket list is the top priority of life, so to speak. They, they kind of live their life moving on from one experience to the other, one moment to another, looking for the next thrill or the next memory. I'm also been reminded of other conversations that many times we seek after uh, what's new, the new possession, the new gadget, the new technology. And there are many of you, some in my family, who absolutely love technology. They're all about the new gadgets. They can tell you about this new design of shoe. They can tell you about the new speed of that laptop. And they're, and they're kind of consumed by that a little bit. It kind of drives them. And they're, they know all the lingo, all the different things. And they, they seek after those things. Others of us could care less about that kind of stuff, and we're more focused about people and relationships, and so we seek after relationships, and sometimes those are, are great things. We seek after a relationship maybe with a, a mentor or someone who's a professional that's above us that can help develop us further professionally, or we might seek out a relationship maybe to eventually have a, a serious relationship and maybe have a spouse in the future. None of those things are bad. It's not wrong to have those things. But for the believer, God calls us first and foremost to seek something else. 
And rather, it's not just a something. Truthfully, it's a someone. And that is that in the midst of our life, it can be so easy, even in the midst of the not bad things, but even the good things, the, the moments and the memories and the people and the, the gadgets and that kind of stuff. It can be so easy to be caught up in these distractions that we miss the main thing. In fact, that's what Paul is writing about in Colossians chapter 3. He's writing to a body of believers, a church in a city known as Colossae. They were in a place where, frankly, the church had experienced a great move of God. People had been saved. People had been baptized. People had been transformed and changed, and much was going well. But as the young church began to grow, they quickly began to experience problems and challenges. Frankly, the problems and challenges that they experienced weren't major sin in their midst. It was major distractions in their midst. It wasn't that there was all this evil that was coming against them. Yes, they, they faced persecution and they faced trials and difficulties, even as we face them today. And yet, in the midst of it all, there were all these distractions and all these hindrances that were vying for their attention and ultimately striving to get their affection. And Paul wrote in the midst of it all to say, listen, there's something you need to know. There is someone specifically and something specific that God calls you to seek after. He outlines it for us in Colossians chapter three. This morning as we open God's word, I wanna to preach to you on the subject very simply, seeking the things above. Seeking the things above. While we all can be focused on the bucket list, while we can all be focused on the new things, while we can all be focused on certain relationships, God calls us in our life today, right here in 2020, to live our life in a way that we are seeking the things above. Well, how can we seek the things above when our feet are planted here on this earth? How can we seek the things above, frankly, that we can't see with our physical eyes when what we do see with our physical eyes at times is very distracting? How do we do that? God outlines it for us perfectly in Colossians chapter three. And so I wanna ask if you're able physically, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're gonna read verses one through 15 as we seek to understand how to seek the things that are above. The Bible says this, therefore, if, everybody say if, if, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. Consider the, the members of your body dead to impurity and passion and evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them aside. Anger and wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Verse 11, it's a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, 
holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, listen to the statement, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your love for us today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word. God, I confess today that living right now in this day and in this culture and in this world, it is so easy for us in our life to be distracted by all the things around us. Father, it's easy to quickly identify those things that are wrong and evil, but, but even those things that are good can often become a major distraction to the things that are most important. So God, I pray today, would you give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us a heart to respond to the truth that you want us to know. God, I pray today that when we leave here today, we would leave here with a conviction and a surrender to you to seek the things that are above. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning, seeking the things above. The fact of the matter is this morning, as you look at God's word, we understand clearly, loud and clear from the very first verse of our text, what God is calling us to do. He's calling us as we live our life today to seek the things that are above. In fact, I think about that and I'm reminded of kind of the background of this text. At the very beginning of verse one, God uses through the apostle Paul, a simple little word to describe to us who he's talking to. He says this statement in verse one, if you have been raised up with Christ if you have been raised up with Christ. Now, when Paul uses that, he's kind of giving us a conditional statement, if you will. He's saying, if you have believed in Jesus, if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the grave, if you literally have found eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what I have to say is for you. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never understood the reality of why Jesus died and the reality that he rose again. I wanna encourage you this morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is a great opportunity and a great time to do so. By the end of this message today, you're gonna be given an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to be forgiven, to be saved, and to be changed from this day forward. But for those of you who've already done that, everything that follows in this text is directly for you. He says, if you've been raised with the Lord Jesus Christ, there are some things I want you to know. And he begins with saying, we gotta seek the things above. Well, how do we do that? How do we seek the things above while we live here on this earth? And I believe God outlines for us three simple things that will radically impact us and help us to be effective, even in 2020, to seek the things that are above. First step is simply this. If you're gonna seek the things above, here's what you gotta do. You've got to put your mind on the things above. If you're gonna seek in your actions and the things that you do with your hands and the things that you do with your feet, the places that you go, the conversations that you have, the words that come out of your mouth, if you're gonna do those things in a way that's seeking things above, here's what you first gotta do. You've got to get your mind right. You gotta get your mind right. You gotta get your mind set on things above. That's what he says, set your mind on things above. Well, how do we do that? How do we set our mind on things above? And why is that important? Here's why it's important. It's important because what we think upon ultimately will determine our actions. The more we think upon something, the more we act upon something. Let me illustrate that in a very simple and lighthearted way for just a moment. 
About three months ago, it was the early fall and we had a cold morning here and it was rainy and dreary outside and I was preaching on a Sunday morning just like today. And as I was preaching, I gave an illustration. I don't know why I gave this illustration, but I gave an illustration that involved food. And why it came out of my mouth, I have no idea. But in the process of talking about food, I, I just passingly used the phrase of a local restaurant called Cracker Barrel. Anybody ever been to Cracker Barrel before? Absolutely. I made the phrase Cracker, said the name Cracker Barrel, and I went on in my message and preached and thought absolutely nothing of it. Well, when the second service ended, my wife came to me and found me. And she said, sweetheart, we don't have a lot of groceries at home right now. We've got to stop by the grocery store. I think we need to go out to eat for lunch. And I said, well, it sounds fine to me. She said, I've got a gift card to Cracker Barrel. What do you say we go to Cracker Barrel? I said, that sounds great. So she told me, I'll go get a table at the restaurant. I said, great, I've got some things to wrap up at the church. I'll see you over there in a few minutes. And she texted me like five minutes later. There's a 45-minute wait at Cracker Barrel. Do you still want to eat here? And I said, bless God, we have a gift card. We're still going to eat there, Okay. <laughs> And so I wrapped up what I needed to at the office, and then I made my way over to the Cracker Barrel restaurant, and as soon as I pulled it, and I saw cars, of course, like I expected, everywhere. Before I even got into the gift shop area, there was a family coming out who had already finished lunch. They had been in the early service at Crosslink Community Church. And I was like, well, good to see y'all. I guess people are in Cracker Barrel. I walked into the gift shop, and as God is my witness, I could hardly move. It was like Times Square in New York. I could hardly move in the gift shop because it was filled with people from Cracker Barrel. Uh, Crosslink. <laughs> They're at Cracker Barrel too. By the time we sat down to order our food, we had no less than a dozen families in the restaurant who had been at Crossing that morning come to me and say, we didn't save you any food, pastor, okay? What I'm saying to you this morning is simply this. What we think upon, guess what? We act upon. I wish Cracker Barrel gave me a little bit for that. But anyway... What we think about, we act upon. And so God is saying, listen, here's what you gotta do. If you're gonna live seeking the Philippians chapter four, he said it this way, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's, to God. here's the result. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen to this instruction. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, listen to the command, dwell on these things. In other words, he's saying, set your mind on these things. There's a lot of things in this world that will pull you down. There's a lot of things that will weigh you down. There's a lot of things that will tempt you along the way. There's a lot of distractions and pursuits that can consume you. So here's what you do. You get your mind right. You get your attention and get your mind and you focus it on Jesus and you focus it on eternity and you focus it on heaven and you focus it on the things that will matter when this temporary world is over. He's saying, set your mind on things above. I love how he says in the next statement, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Now think about that for just a moment. Not on the things that are on earth. It's interesting to me that God didn't say, not on the evil things that are on earth. A lot of evil things in the world. Doesn't take long to turn on the news, hello, before you find evil things in the world. 
It, it, you literally just take, take a current event section out of the paper probably and you're gonna find something that's, that's wrong and evil and immoral and we know instantly we can't let our mind focus there. We can't spend our time and our energy there because it, perhaps it will pull us down or it will even tempt us to follow suit. We know we can't let our mind go there, but he didn't say evil things. He said, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. How many good things do we focus on that we spend our time and our energy on? We spend our, our mental focus on and we give all of that attention to. And the fact of the matter is they're not necessarily bad things. They can't even be good things. And yet at the same time, if they are all consuming, they will distract us from the main things of God. How often do we allow our mind and our thoughts to be so caught up on our hobbies and our pets and our sports and our politics and our weather and all these different things? And the reality is they don't matter for eternity. And so God says, listen, set your mind on things above. Now, I enjoy sports. I do. You've heard me talk about it. I played sports. I've coached sports. I enjoy, even so to this day, watching sports and coaching when I can. I enjoy it. But beyond the relationships and the opportunity and the platform that it can be for the gospel, there is nothing of eternal significance there. I enjoy political debates. Most of you don't know that. But the fact of the matter is, even in the midst of that, much of those things, apart from the fact of relationships and the platform that maybe can happen through the gospel, there's not a lot of eternal significance there. We talk about the weather, we talk about the technology, all these different things, and these things of the earth can be so consuming. It causes me to examine my own life, causes me to examine, ask you to examine your own. What kind of time are you spending in sports versus your relationship with the Lord? What, time, what kind of time are you spending getting riled up by all the, the mess that we see in politics and the world around us without focusing on the things of God, the promises of God, the ministry that he's called us to today? The fact of the matter is God is saying, set your mind on things above. Why? Why should we do that? I believe in each of these points, God through the apostle Paul says, here's the instruction, set your mind on things above. But now let me tell you the why. First and foremost, here's why. Because of God's grace. Why today, why should we set our mind on things above beyond the fact that it's good for us? Here's why, because of God's grace. I want you to consider for a moment what God is saying to you. If you know Christ, your Lord and Savior, he's saying, listen, don't forget what I have done for you. Verse three, for you, Christian, you believer in Jesus, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why should we not be consumed with all of our mental energy focused on the here and now, the temporary world that we're living in? Why should we be fixed upon eternity? Here's why. Because you have died and your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. Now think of this for just a moment. Most of the time when we talk about Jesus dying, we will say, Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. Aren't you thankful that he did? He died on the cross for you and for me. But for all who believe in Jesus, Jesus not only died for us, the Bible says at the very moment of salvation, we discover the fact that not only did Jesus die for us, but we died with him. Literally, our old life, it's hidden with God in Christ. We were crucified with him. Here's what the apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but the Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, listen, the old me is gone. The old me that used to blaspheme, the old me that used to persecute Christians, the old me that used to reject God, the old me that used to do whatever I wanted to do, literally, he's dead and he's gone. And the new thing that you see, it's not me, it's Jesus in me. The light that you now live is Jesus in me. It's not actually me is what he's saying. Think of that for a moment. Think about the grace of God that could work and move in such a way that he could take an evil sinner like Saul and he could take him and he could forgive him and he could cleanse him and he could change him and he could make him a brand new creation. That's grace. So Paul's looking at this moment. He said, listen, it's not the same me anymore. I've been forgiven and I have been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Oftentimes in our culture, we might look at someone and we'll say, well, people never change. So-and-so can never change. People can never change. And in and of themselves, they can't. Just like you and I can't change by our own good works. But here's the promise of scripture. The promise of scripture is that all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ can be changed by the power of God. Romans chapter six says it this way. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, listen to this, so we too might walk in newness of life. I am not yet, thank God, I am not yet what I want to be, but thank God I am not what I used to be. I am a new creation in Christ. And so are all who believed in Jesus we set our mind on things above because of God's grace. But secondly, we set our mind on things above because of God's glory. Listen to what the scripture says. I love this statement. Not only have you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God, but listen to this, verse four. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. There's a second motivation to consider. Why do you get your mind beyond the temporary things and focus them on heaven that you can't even fully see yet? Here's why. Because if you're a Christian, this world ain't your home. This world is temporary. In fact, the literal of the scripture is saying here, this simple reality that one day Jesus Christ, who's already come, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again, just like the Bible says. He's in heaven preparing a place for all who believe. But one day the Bible says he is coming again. And when he comes again to receive us to himself, he will come back one day, even to this earth. And he will come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Think of that for just a moment. The first time Jesus came, not everybody recognized who he was. The first time Jesus came, the, the shepherds came there at the stable that night and there, there they worshiped him. And that first time that he came, sometime later, literally he was presented in the temple and, and, and there were some who came and worshiped him. The first time that he came, the wise men eventually made their way and they brought gifts and there they worshiped him. But not everybody did. In fact, by the time he was 33 years old, there was a large crowd that were chanting, crucify him, crucify him. They didn't recognize him that he was the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. 
We often sing that song at Christmas, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. But did you know that song was not written as a Christmas song? Fact of the matter is when he came, many people did not recognize that he was their king. But when Jesus comes again, the Bible says that he's been given a name that at the name of Jesus, one day in the future, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, there is coming a day in the future when all will recognize and see who Jesus truly is, that he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, that he is the only way to heaven. He's the Savior of the world. But here's the truth. Not only is Jesus going to be revealed one day as King of kings and Lord of lords, but the Bible says we will be revealed with him in glory. Today, as a Christian, living in a, as a Christian in 2020, there may not seem to be a lot of glory in professing faith in Christ. In fact, you profess faith in Christ too loudly, you might be demoted, criticized, or ridiculed. You might be passed over for the promotion at work. You might even be fired, who knows? You announce too loudly that you are with Christ, even though we don't face the intense persecution that many believers in the world today still face, we will face our form of Persecution and criticisms along the way. But that's temporary. There is coming a day when the Bible says Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, listen to this promise from 1 John chapter 3. It says it this way. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet appeared as what we will be. We know that when he appears, listen to this statement. We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Think of that for a moment. Jesus in his glorified state, the Bible says literally, we will be with him and we will be even like him. John Phillips, the commentator, summarized it this way. It says, we will be like him for all the endless ages yet unborn. We will be like Jesus in the glory of his appearance and splendor. We will be like him in thought, word, and deed. We will be like him in character, conduct, and conversation. This will be life beyond human comparison. Pastor, why do we set our mind on things above? Here's why we do it. Because God in his grace has forgiven us and God in his glory one day will reveal us. It's incredible. Here's a second truth. If we're going to seek the things above, we start by setting our mind on things above. But secondly, there's another step and that is this. And here's where it gets hard. A lot of us say, oh yeah, that's right. We gotta get our mind right. That's true, preacher. That's, that, that'll preach. That's good. I need that. But listen to the second. If we're gonna seek the things above, we must also put off the things that are displeasing to God. We must put off the things that are displeasing to God. Colossians chapter three, he tells us these words to set our mind on things above and talks about how we're gonna be revealed with the Lord in glory. And then in light of that in verse five, he tells us something. He says this, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. First step seems almost easy, doesn't it? All right, set my mind on things above. All right, got it, check. Second, put off the things that are displeasing to the Lord. What God is saying through his word and what he's saying to the apostle Paul here is reminding us 
that like an old filthy garment, the old man has no place in the new life that we have in Christ. So literally he's saying it's like the old garment that doesn't fit anymore. Anybody got any old garments at home that don't fit anymore? Yeah, some of us just need to go to Goodwill and take, you know, just take some stuff off, right? My wife's always, you need to throw some things away, put them out. You don't take those old garments that don't fit anymore and try to, try to stretch them on and come to church on something. That's just not how it works. Like it, it wouldn't work. And what he's literally saying is, listen, if you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, literally in that moment of salvation, you've put off the old and you've put on the new. And yet there's practical applications of that because there's temptations and because there's struggles in our flesh and because there's pressures of the world. And he said, listen, these things have no part in the life of a believer. So put them off of you. Kind of names a group of sins. He names sensual sins as he names immorality. It's our Greek word pornea, which is where we get our English word pornography. He says, put it away from you. He next names impurity, which literally describes in that context any sexual act outside of the context of marriage. And he's saying, put it off of you. It's not fitting anymore. It's not appropriate anymore. He lists passions, which literally speaks of lustful passions without any kind of restraint. And what does he say? He's saying, consider your body, your, the members of your earthly body, consider yourself dead to these things. These things do not have place in the life of a believer. But then he goes to selfish sin, our selfish evil desires and even our greed, which amounts to idolatry. And the idea here is it's the things in our life where frankly, we just want to do what we want to do. I want what I want. I'm going to experience what I want to experience. I'm going to be with who I want to be with. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And the idea here is that we're only looking out for ourselves. And Paul says, listen, loud and clear, that has no place in the life of a believer. If you're a child of God, you should be living your life to please God, not all social sins. There are these attitudes and actions that affect our relationships with others as he lists here anger and wrath and malice and slander, abusive speech, lying to one another. All of these things, what he is saying is this. At the moment of salvation, you, for, you, you literally, at the moment of salvation, you're putting off the old and you're putting on the new. And so continue an application. Put these things away from you. They have no place in your life today. That's what he's calling us to do. The idea here that we kind of miss in our translation is the intensity with which Paul is suggesting that. We read that in the English and we think, oh, put them aside over here. But what he's literally saying is the idea of urgency and disgust cut it off and get rid of it that's the image he's describing let me illustrate that without hoping hopefully not causing you to be sick but heather and i were married early in june of 2003 and early on in our marriage we found out we were expecting our first child um literally about two months into marriage two to three months into marriage we found out mac was on the way it was a surprise of all surprises he was born in may of 2004 and by December, of course, our life had radically changed. And with us having Mac now in the home, we determined that on this particular Christmas, we weren't gonna travel and see family. We were gonna stay at home and start our own kind of Christmas traditions and things. And so um, I remember that particular Christmas, we didn't have a lot. And I remember that Heather gave me um, for Christmas, I think she gave me a few things, but one thing specifically is she gave me this nice dress shirt and a sweater which may not mean a whole lot to anybody, but it was, it was nice. I knew she'd picked it out and it was, it was sharp and I determined, well, I'm gonna wear that when I preach on Sunday. What Heather didn't tell me until Sunday morning as she got Mac dressed as a little seven-month-old little guy is that she had him a little matching shirt and sweater. Oh, right, I mean, cute. I mean, he was much cuter than me, of course, but 
Nonetheless, I remember she was so, she was like, she did, she did all this as a surprise. I didn't know any of it. And so we're literally on that particular day, we were staying with some friends and staying at their house. And that morning I was getting ready to go, to go preach. And, and so she brought Mac to me and she said, she said, Hey, you know, Merry Christmas, daddy. And she handed Mac to me and I look at Mac and I realize he's wearing the same exact clothes color. And I'm thinking like, this is out of whatever reason, it was a proud, like sentimental moment, you know, for a dad, a young dad. And I remember thinking, like, just kind of like oogling on it. And I remember taking him and picking him up. I don't know what else to say at that point. Like, I picked him up, and the next thing I know, I was baptized in vanilla ice cream. But anyway, so like, I, I, I picked him up, and the next thing I know, like, he is sick, and he is sick all over me. And, and, and I don't know how you are, but I'm one of those people, like, I'm fine until I see it. But when I see it, I'm like, you know, like, I don't have much self-control in that moment. And so I remember in that moment of literally absolute like sheer disgust, I remember laying back on the bed and telling Heather, like, sweetheart, you got to take care of him. And I went, we were, we were staying with our friends. I went into the bathroom. I really was like disgusted. I just literally took everything off and threw it in the shower, turned the water on and hoped everything would go down the drain. You know, like I didn't know what to do with it. That picture of disgust that I'm largely editing and modifying for the sake of this audience that picture is what Paul is saying. He's like, with urgency, get it off, get it away from you, put it away from you now, be done with it. Why? He gives us two motivations, and I gotta say them quickly. Why should we put these things off? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes in my flesh, well, no, 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 I, I would rather give somebody a piece of mom. I would rather be angry than forgive. There are sometimes I would rather have malice in my heart than have to be patient and gracious and love them in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? Why? Here's why. Number one, because you have been cleansed, Christian. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, please don't miss this. You have been cleaned by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says, verse seven. He doesn't beat them up. He doesn't talk about all these sins in a way that's condemning. Here's what he says. Basically, in my interpretation, you understand what I'm talking about, Christian, because you used to live like this. Verse seven, in them. What's he talking about? He's talking about these sexual sins, these selfish sins. He's talking about uh, these various things. In them, you also once walked when you were living in them. You were guilty of these things. Don't look down condemningly at others that are called in immorality. Don't look down condemningly at others who, who have anger and a, and, and a mouth like a sailor. Don't look down at them. You used to be like that. You were living in that. You were, you were no different is what Paul is saying. But you were cleansed. Please understand this morning, the church is not made up of perfect people. We are not here today, and I am not the one preaching today because any of us are perfect. The only difference in us and the world is that we've been cleansed by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not here because we're perfect. In fact, we are a part of a church, not because we're perfect, but because Jesus is perfect and he gave his life in our place so that we can be forgiven and set free. Here's how Paul said it to another church, the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6. He said this, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a truth. But listen to this statement. Such were some of you, 
but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. In other words, this morning, if you're here today and these sins are active in your life, it's an ongoing lifestyle in your life, and you know that, please, I'm here to tell you this morning, you can be forgiven, you can be cleansed, you can be set free because of the power and the promise of Jesus Christ. In fact, he tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why do we keep walking through this practice of putting the things off of the old, keeping those things off of us because we've been cleansed. Secondly, because we've been changed. We've been changed. Notice what the scripture says in verse 10. It says this, well, verse nine and 10. Do not lie to one another since you have already, speaking of past tense, you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. In other words, you have been changed. This this has not happened by man's ability. A tiger can't change its stripes. A human can't change their sinful nature. We continually go to it. We continually struggle with lust. We continue to struggle with our own selfish desires. We continue to struggle with wanting to be boss. We continually battle with pride. All these things we naturally do in our old sinful nature. The only way that nature is changed is by the power of Christ. That's why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul had experienced that. It wasn't just that God forgave him and cleansed him. It was ultimately that God also changed him. Here's how Peter describes it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 says it this way, seeing that God's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Listen to this. So that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. In our cleansing, God forgives us of our past and the things that we've done. He sets us free from those sins. But in our change, he gives within us a hunger and a desire to now do the things that are pleasing to him. He changes us. Does that mean that I never sin any longer? No. Does that mean that I'm now perfect all of a sudden because I've been forgiven and saved? No. But because God has now given me his nature, He has now, through the Holy Spirit, given me the power to say no to those temptations in that nature. Does that mean I don't fall short? Absolutely not. Does that mean that you're not going to fall short? Absolutely not. But it does mean that by the power of God and by the nature he has now put within you as a child of God, you have the power within you to say no and to resist the temptation that comes your way. So we must continually put off the things that are displeasing to the Lord. Secondly, and thirdly, If we're going to seek the things above, we got to set our mind, put our mind on things above, put off the things that are displeasing to the Lord. And thirdly, we must continually put on the things that are pleasing to God. It's not rocket science. We must continually put on the things that are pleasing to God. If you're staying with me for a moment, that third point emphasizes the word continually. And it does so because that's the context of these verses. 
The Bible's describing a once and for all act. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're forgiven, you're cleansed, the old is done away, the new has come. You're made a new creation in Christ. But notice what the Bible says about this new you, this new man. Verse 10, you've put on the new self who is, listen, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction, but Christ is all and he is in all. At salvation, you accept Christ, you put off the old and you put on the new. But when you put on the new, the Bible's describing here an ongoing process as you relate to the Lord, as you talk to the Lord, as you learn from his word, as you grow in this. The Bible says this new man, he's continually being molded and he's being shaped and he's growing into what? He's growing into the very likeness of Jesus Christ himself. This word into a true knowledge is describing not a knowledge of facts, but a relational knowledge. Anybody can know facts about Jesus. You can go online right now and learn a whole bunch of facts about Jesus. I can give you some pretty good websites where you can learn some great facts about the life of Christ. But knowing facts about the life of Christ are not gonna conform you to the image of Jesus. It's in the context of relationship with Jesus that you begin to be conformed to the image of Christ. We see that in relationships all the time. Sometimes I'll talk with a couple that have been married for a long time and you can tell how close they are because their mannerisms, their vocabulary, and even their tone somehow magically begins to model itself. They begin to talk the same and various things. We see that even the context of, of our relationship with our children. I remember years ago, Heather and I, we had begun dating and I remember meeting her family for the first time and her little sister, Sarah, at the time was about four years old. And Sarah was the most articulate little girl I have probably ever met. And she walked in and she sat on the couch and Heather, Heather introduced her to me. And Sarah said, little four-year-old little girl, Heather, Heather's little sister, Sarah said, well, heaven's to Betsy. <laughs> I was like, who says that? You know, like what four-year-old says that? About that time, as God is my witness, like two or three minutes later, Heather's mom walks into the room. Something, something had surprised her, and she said out loud, well, heaven's to Betsy. And I thought, well, no wonder. That's where she gets. Sounded just like her mother. We see that in relationships all the time. It shouldn't be any wonder then to find that when we get in God's word, when we spend time with Jesus, guess what happens? God begins to mold us and to shape us and to conform us to the very image of Jesus Christ. Does that mean you've got to be in the Bible for hours and hours? Does that mean you've got to pray for hours and hours? Listen, here's the reality. When you take God's word for what it is, when you open God's word and let God's word begin to get into your heart, whether you're reading for five minutes or five hours, whether you're praying literally as you're driving down the road and seriously focused on the Lord, or whether you're having a sweet hour of prayer at night, it doesn't matter. Here's the priority. When you get, get to focus on that relationship with Jesus, where he becomes a priority and he becomes the focus, what begins to happen is this. God begins to mold you and to shape you literally into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 even reminds us that is his purpose for us. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. What does the life of Christ look like? It looks like what we're told to put on. What is he? What are we called to put on? A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, wait for it, Patience, 
bearing with one another, forgiving each other, anyone who has a complaint against you, forgiving them. That's what Christ did. That's who he was. It was his nature. And as we grow in our relationship with him, God begins to live those things out in our life. John Wesley said it this way, putting on the new man means that we are being clothed with all the graces which were in him. When clothed in Christ, we become so closely united with Jesus that others see him and not us. That's what I want from my life. Believers, that's what we should want from our life. May it truly be said that people see Christ and not me. Well, why? Why do we set our mind on things above? Why do we put off the old? Why do we keep putting on the new? And again, in this argument, Paul goes back to, it's because of what God has done for us and who we are in him. Notice who we are in Christ. The scripture says we are chosen, we are holy, and we are beloved. God says you're holy. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God says you're holy. It literally means you have been set apart by God and for God and to God. You are his chosen one. In fact, saint. If you know Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, that means God calls you a saint. We think of saints as those that we memorialize along the way. Oh, this great Christian that we knew a long time ago. But God calls us to be saints. You may not feel like it, you may today not be living like it. But for all who believe in Jesus, God's declared you holy. He also declared you beloved. You may not feel loved. You may feel like nobody's standing with you, that nobody cares. You may wonder, where's God in the midst of all this? But I'm telling you, in Christ Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross when he died on the cross for our sins, God gave us a permanent statement to remind us that we are loved. The same description of John, the beloved disciple, who was so deeply loved by Christ that many of the other disciples at times began to argue about it and began to look differently at John. God so, Jesus so greatly loved John. It's the same word that God uses when he says, you are beloved. In Colossians chapter three, holy and beloved. What's the final motivation? It's very simple. It's not only who we are in Christ, ultimately it boils down to what he's done for us. Notice the statement in verse 13. Just as the Lord forgave you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven by the Lord? Christian, you remember what it was like to know that you were guilty and undeserving of grace and forgiveness? The Bible says, just as the Lord forgave you, so also do you. Never forget what the Lord has done for you to offer you and I forgiveness and grace. The fact of the matter this morning is this, is that we don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve God's grace. We can't earn it. And the fact of the matter is God owes us nothing. If Jesus could show us that kind of grace, if Jesus could forgive us, if Jesus could do all these things for us, how could we not be compassionate and kind, humble, gentle, patient, and forgiving to others. The fact is this morning is that when we realize all that God's done for us, 
putting off the old and putting on the new. It's not about what we have to do. By the grace of God and for his glory, it's what we get to do. In my hope and prayer this morning, I know there's a lot of distractions in our culture. My goodness, I face them myself. We all do. God's called us to seek the things above. And the way that we do that is by setting our mind there, by putting off the things that would weigh us down and tempt us and entangle us here in this world, and then putting on the things that model Christ to the world around us. I want to ask you all over the building to answer that question. What today are you seeking? Paul said Christ was his life. Can that be said of us today? All over the building. Would you just bow your heads with me in a spirit of prayer? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the time that we have together. Thank you for how you've given us the opportunity to hear your word. And I pray, Lord, now that you would give us wisdom and insight in how to apply it in our lives. And I pray that all of it will be for your glory and praise in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.